The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have given us a few moments this morning where we can gather together and we can think about what your word has to say about our lives. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, uh, that you would cause us to set down our idols. And as we have just sung, that as the heart longs and pants for the water, so, O Lord, may our souls pant and thirst for you. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated. Well, as uh, you may or may not know, uh, I will be doing a chapel series uh, this semester on the Christian and technology. And this morning's uh, brief chapel address is perhaps maybe a little cheekily uh, titled uh, The Screen, uh, The New American Idol. I think when it comes to idolatry, when we look, for example, at the Bible and Old Testament Israel, I think it's particularly easy for us to be able to spot the idolatry. All you have to do is look into the Old Testament narratives and wherever you see someone bowing down to a block of stone or to a block of metal and treating it as if it were a god, then you can say, aha, there I find idolatry. I think the same could be said perhaps in our own day. I've uh, had the opportunity when I've traveled in Asia to Uh, peer into a Buddhist temple where I've been able to see people bowing down to statues and to graven images. And so once again, you can say in that context, aha, there is idolatry. But I think when we look into the cultural window of our own particular context, it may be a little bit more difficult to be able to spot idolatry because it takes on perhaps a common, mundane, and ordinary appearance. But I think all you have to do is go into an airport terminal or look on the city sidewalk uh, as people hustle and bustle by, and it's very easy to see people walking like zombies. I, I've, I've sat this, I sat there the other day in an airport, and I looked, and as I just noticed how many people were walking by with their screens, with their phones, as they were swiping through tweets, scrolling through messages, Uh, and uh, looking at their phones just kind of ambling about, it made me think, I'm putting my phone away. But I think in that particular case, that's where we have to say, I think in that common, ordinary, everyday kind of experience, we can recognize therein likely lies a hotbed of idolatry. The fact that there are now books, for example, called the Digital Detox Plan uh, should make us aware of the fact that even the generic public is aware of the fact that our screens have become uh, very much objects of addiction. So for example, in this book, The Digital Detox Plan, it asks 12 questions to see whether or not you might be addicted to uh, screens. Now, I would do this the way Jeff Foxworthy does it. You just might be a redneck. So I say, you just might be addicted to your screen if, but we'll cut that part out, and I'll just read through the questions, okay? (laughs) 
Uh, so one, checking your phone the first thing after you wake up or checking it in the middle of the night. Slipping away from people in order to check your phone. Checking your phone while you are eating a meal with others. Bumping into someone because you're looking at your phone. Uh, you spend little time outside because you're inside with your phone. You find it difficult to complete a task without intermittently looking at your phone. Are you easily distracted when you're offline doing other tasks? Do you spend little face-to-face -face time with others? Are you at home with your family, but yet each member of the family is in a different room looking at a different screen? Uh, are you using screens to pacify a child instead of talking, playing, singing, or reading to them? I've done it. I'll say it. Uh, are you going online when you want to avoid an unpleasant task? Uh, or do you want to really stop using your phone and you've tried but you just can't? Uh, to these questions, I think we could add a few more, and these are ones that I thought of, and I'm sure you might think of other questions to ask. Have you ever texted or surfed the internet while you were in church? Maybe we shouldn't answer that question. Have you ever stepped out of a worship service to take a phone call? If you're a medical professional, a brain surgeon on call, you don't have to answer that question. You have a legitimate reason. Have you ever decided to stay home and listen to a sermon uh, or watch a sermon online? Or have you ever binged watched TV shows, and I say on a regular basis, or played video games into the wee hours of a morning? Now, any one of these particular questions, if you answer yes, doesn't automatically indicate that you are addicted to your screen, but I think that they are important questions to ask, and if you answer yes to them, or to a number of them, then it should make you pause and ask that question. Am I addicted to my screen? Have I turned it into an idol? And if you determine that, yes, maybe I have turned it into an idol, uh, we could say that there are perhaps two possible courses of action. The first course of action, you could say, is, well, maybe my environment will change. Maybe my environment will change. For example, if you're an alcoholic, the last thing you want to do is go into a bar or go into a liquor store. You have to change your environment. So maybe your environment will change, or maybe you can recognize that a change in the environment will not have really any much effect upon your addiction, and rather you have to take proactive action. So let's consider the first question. Maybe your environment will change. Well, if you think that screens will somehow uh, go away, I think it's perhaps a mistaken assumption. In his book, uh, the, the inevitable, the 12 technological forces that are changing our future. Uh, technology expert Kevin Kelly uh, has a chapter on what he calls screening. And uh, he talks about how screens will continue to pro proliferate in our lives. And he has the following passage. He describes the future in the not too distant future in the following terms. He says, in the morning, I begin my screening while still in bed. I check the screen on my wrist for the time, my wake-up alarm, and see what urgent news and other weather scrolls by. 
I screen the tiny panel near the bed that shows messages from my friends. I walk to the bathroom uh, and find screens there. I screen my new artworks on the wall. I get dressed and screen my outfit in the closet. In the kitchen, I screen full news. I like the display lying flat, horizontal on the table. I turn to the screens on my cabinet, searching for my favorite cereal. And at that point, I wanted to say, really? You need the screen there, too? I dash to the car. In the car, my story continues where I left off in the kitchen. My car screens the story for me, reading it aloud as I ride. The buildings we pass along the highway are screens themselves. At my son's school, I check one of the public wall displays in the side hallway. I can also use the screen on my wrist. I finally make it to the office. When I touch my chair, my room knows me, and all the screens in the room and on the table are ready for me. After I work, I put on augmentation glasses while I jog outside. After our meal, I will screen to relax. I'll put on a VR headset and explore a new alien city. As I lay down, I set the screen on my wrist for 6 a.m. For eight hours, I stop screening. He says this is, this is the inevitable future in which we will live, probably not too far into the future as screens become cheaper and more, uh, you know, more all over the place. Yet, you know, if you were to replace the word screens in this paragraph that he describes the future, say, with bananas, you would say, that's an unusual attraction to bananas. <laughs> Maybe you should stop with the bananas. You know, do that from time to time. Just do that kind of a, of a thought process. But one of the things that is frightening about this is that I think that Kelly describes the future in terms of these dreams that will come true, the in inevitable technological developments that will shape our future. But yet rather than a dream come true, this passage to me sounds more like a nightmare. Especially if you've ever read, for example, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 and the dystopian future that he describes there where people sit in their TV parlors where they are surrounded by wall-to-wall -wall televisions and that all they do is they sit there in a somewhat anesthetized state, uh, really sedated uh, by the screens that continually pour information into them. Bradbury was really prophetic because he was writing back in 1951 when if you looked at the television at that particular point, this burgeoning technology, it was this little black and white square box that kind of sat in the corner that really didn't have all of that, you know, uh, promise, that much promise to it. And yet he predicted back in 1951 that we would be surrounded by screens. The fact that in a New York Times uh, interview where Steve Jobs was asked about after he had invented the iPad, and I, I use that word loosely, I know he was really kind of the chief project manager, not that he's actually there welding sockets and whatnot, you know, and putting the thing together. Uh, he touted it in 2010 when he introduced it as the best way to read books, the best way to watch video content, the best way to learn, say for example, on iTunes U. Uh, but when a New York Times reporter asked him how much his kids used it, he says very little, if at all. And when the New York Times reporter went and spent an evening with him and his family, he said that nobody took out a screen the whole night. This New York Times reporter observed that these technology geniuses and these inventors were like the wise drug dealer. They didn't use their own products. 
These, I think, observations should tell us that screens are not going away and that our environment is not going to change, but rather they're only going to become more and more pervasive. And so this, I think, turns our attention to the second option, which is changing the way we think and use our screens, or in more biblical terms, setting down the idol, setting down the idol. St. Augustine in the City of God, he says, for love itself is to be ordinately loved because we do well to love that which when we love it makes us live well and virtuously. In other words, he says, the things that we love are supposed to order us and point us in a direction that causes us to live more virtuously. In other words, the things that we love should make us better people. Things that we love should make us better people. And so you should ask yourself that question. Is your screen making you a better person? Are you spending more time with your friends? Are you spending more time with the Lord? Is it making you a better person or is it not? Is it causing you to withdraw? You know, just yesterday as I'm conducting and doing all this research for this chapel series, Uh, There was a new poll that said 59% of teenagers prefer to text rather than face-to-face communication. That, in one sense, is frightening. Frightening. So what are the solutions? Well, we can limit our screen time. There's an app for that. Put it in your phone and it will limit the amount of time that you can use it. You can keep the phone at a distance. My wife now keeps it downstairs at overnight so she can't see it in the middle of the night. Uh, You can put device timers, you can take advantage of detox plans, but I think all of these things only scratch at the surface. In his book, uh, The Inevitable, Kevin Kelly, I think makes an ironic and unintended but nevertheless insightful observation when he says we keep on inventing new things that make new longings, new holes that must be filled. We keep on inventing new things that make new longings, new holes that must be filled. And he thinks that this is a good thing, but he never stops to ask the question, why do we keep on doing this? Why do we keep on inventing new things? Why do we keep on trying to fill the holes in our lives? Again, it was Augustine who said that indeed we do have holes in our lives. He said in his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. In other words, God has created us with a Christ-shaped hole in our hearts. And the only thing that will satisfy, that will fill, that will give us rest and peace is Christ. And the problem is, is that we continually seek to fill it with everything else. And because the use of screens is so prevalent, we go along with the flow. Or in Paul's words of Romans chapter 12, We are conformed to the patterns of this world and somewhat unseemingly so. 
beloved, in Christ, I'm not saying go out and smash your iPhone. You know, although we could say Dr. Kim, Dean of Students will lead us in a phone smashing service out in front and bring your phones and we'll all crush them. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying and what I am challenging us to do is to ask, ask the important question. Are you using your phone? Or is your phone using you? Have you turned it into an idol? Isn't it an addiction? Or do you go on like the addict and say, I can quit any time? And we can, we can limit the things in our lives. You can, you can you know, say, I'm just going to limit. I'm going to use my phone only two hours a day. And that may work, but it could be that you will just be a highly functional phone addict. And that you haven't really eliminated the idolatry. All you've done is you're managing it. And this is true of anything in your life, not just the screen. It can be this way with relationships, with lust, with money. You fill in the blank. When it comes to the things that we long for, I think the psalmist touches upon it best, and which is why we sang Psalm 42. What do you long for? Or more specifically, who do you long for? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When you pricked the finger of the psalmist, the, 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 the desire and a panting would come out to say, you alone, O Lord, is what I long for. And it's only Christ who says, for example, in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, it's only Christ who fulfills that longing that we have. So ask that question. Are you drawing closer to Christ? Or has the screen in your life become an impediment, an addiction, an idol. It may not be an idol in your life. You may just use your device as it is necessary, but on the other hand, the device may be using you. Ask that question. And if you determine that you are addicted, then pray to God that he would fill that discontentment that you have, not with things, but rather with Christ. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the all-sufficient Lord and Savior that we have and whom we can find peace and whom we can find rest. So often, O Lord, uh, we go to the the world's table and we stuff ourselves uh, full of what it offers. And then when we come to your table that you have given us in Christ, we have no appetite. Change our desires, O Lord. Order our love so much so that it is aimed at you and in so doing, O Lord, that you would conform us to the image of your Son, that you would enable us not to have any addictions and that the longing of our hearts would be solely for Christ and for the love that comes from you, our triune God. We also take a moment, O Lord, and pray for Dr. Telfer, pray for his continued healing 
and ask that you would enable him to recuperate quickly and uh, return to us, O Lord, uh, 100% healthy. Uh, We give thanks for preserving his life, and uh, we ask, Lord, that you would heal him. We ask now, O Lord, that as we go forward, that you would bless us and that you would enable us to live uh, unto you gloriously. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.